0: If you got a Bible and you want to open to Psalm 103, is where we're going to be today, Psalm 103. We'll read the first five verses of Psalm 103 for right now. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, and who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. You notice Psalm 103, it's basically meant to be paired with or as a complement of Psalm 104. So if you look <laughs> at both Psalms, they both start exactly the same, bless the Lord, O my soul, and they both end the same way, with bless the Lord, O my soul. They're brother and sister The difference between the two Psalms is Psalm 103 is a praise about God, and Psalm 104 is a praise to God. And both are acceptable ways to praise. They have to be because they're in our Bible. (laughs) Just for example, if you look in just that first verse of Psalm 104, bless the Lord, O my soul, and he prays directly, O Lord my God, you, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. And It goes on to say you this and you that throughout. And in verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are thy works in wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. It's directed to God and nowhere in any place in Psalm 103 is any part of that psalm addressed directly to God. Instead, what it is, it's what I would call a call to worship the great mercy of our God. And his mercy is greatly exalted in that psalm, Psalm 103. And that's the title of the message today, our God of great mercy. That's what we're going to see. The nice thing about Psalm 103 is there is nothing negative in that psalm at all. And that is not typical of a psalm. Because typically... Psalms are full of cries of distress, complaints, sorrow, petitions. There's none of that in this psalm. None of it at all. It's a psalm of pure praise from beginning to end. You're spiritually depressed? Read this psalm through, meditate on it. It'll take you to spiritual heights. I'm not kidding about that. And John Calvin said this about these two psalms Psalm 103 and Psalm 104. He called them the hymns of the church, and he said they're songs of war. And you'd be like, what? He said it's all pure praise, nothing negative, songs of war. Well, he went on to say they are songs that war against depression. (laughs) That's what he says. So he says you may have to force yourself to start singing them if you're kind of low. You may be just barely eking out those words, but if you'll keep at it, your soul is going to be raised up. It's going to come alive. And it will. I'm telling you. That's what this psalm will do for you. Because sometimes we go through periods of our life. It's not necessarily, it could be you're in sin, but it may not be you're necessarily living in any kind of sin. But you just had this feeling like I'm undeserving, there's no hope. You know, every time I pick up my Bible or hear a sermon... I realize I'm missing it in a lot of ways. And a lot of times, that's just God speaking to you. He's just waking you up. You had something you were doing, you weren't necessarily aware of it, but it's like, man, I'm worse than I thought I was. And that happens all the time. It should happen to all of us all the time. Or you can be in a long trial, negative circumstances in your life. Maybe you're just having trouble adjusting to life in general, and you just feel like you don't fit in anywhere. Where's God? Where is his care for me? You can be dealing with things like that, and depression can try to set in on you. And then it becomes like, what's the use? You know, I want to move on, but I'm a mess. And I'm saying Psalm 103 is the antidote to that problem. So David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, as he's called, has some medicine for what I would call spiritual depression. And the mercies of God are the theme of this psalm. And he wants to give us some spoonfuls of that medicine, spoonfuls of God's mercy. I'd say five big spoonfuls. So he's like, open wide, and I'll pour it on in there. And it's isn't going to be like cough syrup. It's going to be Psalm 119. After you taste it, you're going to say, how sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's Psalm 103. It begins with that call to worship, that bless the Lord. That's how he begins this psalm. And look at how he begins it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He begins by doing what? What's he doing here? He's talking to himself, isn't he? He's addressing his own soul. He's talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Talking to him. And sometimes we have to talk to ourselves and not let our feelings, how we're feeling about things, our negative thoughts... Or what circumstances clearly seem to indicate. We can't just let them drag us down. Because they're talking to us. We need to talk back. Talk back to our soul. And soul, you're going to do this, is what David's saying. You're not going to get all bummed out. To use the old lingo I would have used in my street days. You're not going to do that, soul. You're going to bless the Lord. And it's not the first time David's said this. If you would, put something there in Psalm 103 and turn back to Psalm 42 and look in verse 5, look what it says. It's not the first time he's had to talk to himself, and I'm saying it's a good way to deal with things sometimes, isn't it? Look what it says, Psalm 42.5, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, talking to himself again? Now, my grandma said that's okay to do as long as you don't answer back. (laughs) I always thought that was good, my grandma. God rest your soul. But, anyways, why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted in me? He says. He's talking to himself. He's feeling down. Things aren't going too well for him. So he starts preaching to himself, doesn't he? What's wrong with you, David? Why are you so depressed? Why are you cast down? He's talking to himself, O my soul, and why are you disquieted in me? And here's the message he's preaching to himself hope thou in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance that's the message he's preaching to himself don't let these circumstances get you down things don't look good you're having this depression come over you oh no soul you're not going to do that hope thou in God he's helped you before he's going to help you again you got to trust in his faithfulness and remember him David had a pattern of doing that we can learn from him can't we man after God's own heart. And I think that's what he's doing at Ziglag. I mean, you think about it. He had to come back to that and here's everything burned, all the women gone, all the children gone, all their stuff gone, everybody's turning on him. And he probably is like, hmm, disquieted in himself. And he probably had to start talking to himself. Soul, don't get distressed, don't get discouraged, don't get depressed, hope thou in God. So maybe somebody in here needs to do that today. Things aren't quite going exactly like you want to. you got to preach to yourself. Back to Psalm 103, that's what David's doing here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, he says, and forget not all of his benefits. Bless the Lord, he's saying, and don't forget. Memory is a good thing for praise. It helps you out, doesn't it? He's encouraging himself, talking to himself. He's saying, I want to get up where the eagles are. You know why he's saying that? Because go back one psalm in Psalm 102. He was with a different flock of birds back in that psalm. So if you would look back in Psalm 102, look what he says here in verse 5. This is your typical psalm here. He says, By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. Verse 6, I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. He's down there in the doldrums. And he's telling himself here in Psalm 103 because, you know, he says the Lord is going to renew his youth like what? An eagle's. That's what he wants to be. And he's like soul talking to himself. You're not going to be like that pelican in the wilderness. A desolate sight that would be, a pelican in the wilderness. And you're not some lonely owl in the desert moping. His hoot was a little moan instead of a, you know what I mean? That's what the owl's doing out there. In the ruins, mournfully hooting. And both of those birds represented throughout the Bible, gloom and wretchedness. And he's saying, nah, I don't want to be there anymore. And you're not just going to be some worthless sparrow sitting on a rooftop, keeping watch. He's saying, bless the Lord, all oh my soul. And all that is within me, he is going to renew my youth like the eagles. That's where I'm going to be. I'm going to fly and my spirit is going to be and my walk is going to be one of majesty and power. Like we said the other day, that's the way God made man to be. Not cowering in fear, letting circumstances overtake his life. Just a victim of the devil being oppressed all the time. That's not the way God intended for us to be. And he's restored that by giving us the Holy Spirit and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can begin to walk and act like men and women of God. Sons and daughters made in his image. amen Amen. so the question is what does it mean when he says i will bless the lord what does it mean to bless the lord we know what it means for god to bless us he bestows favor on us in some way and we sing that song i don't know if bobby wrote it but bobby sure liked to sing it and it was good blessing on blessings coming down from above blessing on blessings from the father of love and on and on we had the other blessing song that went on that. So we know what we're saying when we sing that. We know blessings when we sing that, they can be physical, and hopefully you're not limiting it to that because Ephesians tells us that he wants to bless us with all spiritual blessings, doesn't he? But either way, it's what we need and it's it's a matter when God blesses us, it's God caring for us, isn't it? And numbers 624 says, "The Lord bless thee." It's a benediction. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. We know when we say that God's face is shining on us. His face is turned towards us. He's blessing us. He'll bless all we set our hands to do. That doesn't mean we're going to make millions and have... 13 Cadillacs in our drive, but he's going to bless what we do. And if we live in humble surroundings, he will bless that. And he'll meet all of our needs, won't he? He's not going to forsake us in that way. How do we bless God, though? Because unlike us, we're dependent on him. He doesn't need a thing, does he? That's what it says in Acts 17. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything from us in worship or anything else. The phrase, bless the Lord, is used many times in Scripture, and it's always a call to worship. You'll know this in 1 Chronicles 29, 20, David says to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. He calls them to worship. Now bless the Lord your God. And the word says, so all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the King. And that word blessed, the root of that word means to kneel. To kneel before. It's like you're giving adoration. It's a call to worship. In the great revival we talked about, we read about this a while back in Nehemiah, when the Levites, and we sing this song, when the Levites called the people to worship, they said this, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. I gave up song-leaning, so I'll read the rest. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. But stand up and bless the Lord your God. It's a call to worship. Bless the Lord means to proclaim Him as He's the greatest and best of all beings. Isn't He? Our God, the one who is worthy of all adoration and glory. The all-powerful God who is glorious in holiness. And like we heard in those Psalms today, yet He comes down to the meek and lowly in heart. That's the God we're to worship. And it means to bless the Lord, to declare to everybody around us the mercy, grace, and goodness of our God. And that's what it means. It's as simple as that. Psalm 96 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations and his wonders among all peoples. That's what it means to bless the Lord, to declare his wonders among all people, to declare his power to the nations. That's what it's saying. Psalm 145 says this, I will extol you. Another song we sing. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. And that's how we bless the Lord. Speak of the glory of his kingdom and we talk of his power. And that's what it means. So David is commanding his soul in this psalm to bless the Lord. And he's saying, I'm not going to do this half-heartedly. But how does he say he's going to do it? With all that is within me. His whole being, in other words, is what he's saying there. Everything is going to be involved when he does that. His conscience, his will, his desires, his emotions, his memory, his heart. Now, how do you bless the Lord without thinking about the things He's done for you? Or the things He's going to do? Or just how great He is in and of Himself? It doesn't necessarily have to be He's done something for you. But all of you should be involved in that. Your whole being. That's what David's saying there. All that is within me. He's commanding his soul to do that. To be totally focused on God. And worshiping Him. Praising and worshiping God. Have you ever been that focused here I'm sure you have. It's hard to do with your eyes open sometimes, isn't it? But sometimes you got to just close your eyes. you got to quit looking around to see who has their hands up, who doesn't, who's singing, who's not singing. Who cares? Honestly. Really? You can't do that and be thinking about that and be concentrating on Him. And that's what David's saying he's doing. Bless the Lord, all oh my soul. I'm just concentrating on Him. Him and Him alone with my whole soul. I'm consumed in worship. That is soul worship. Soul music, so to speak. Now, listen to this quote. Soul music is the very soul of music. Now let me ask you, who do you think said that? I'll tell you who, you're going to, you know, that sounds like some old 60s hippie, doesn't it? Yeah, man, soul music is the very soul of music. <laughs> Isn't that what that kind of sounds like you come up with? You know who said that? Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon. Last person in the world, I would think, make a quote like that, but he said it. It's in his book. Soul music, he said, is the very soul of music. He went on to say, let others murmur, but do thou bless. Let others bless themselves, but do thou bless the Lord. Let others only use their tongues, but as for me, he says, I will cry. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He said, many are our faculties, emotions and capacities, but God has given them all to us and they ought all to join in chorus to sing his praise. And he says, half hearted praises are not such as we should render to our loving Lord. I thought that was pretty good. Some people murmur. He says, I don't want to murmur. I want to bless and some people want to bless themselves. He says, no, I want to bless the Lord. And some people just want to use their tongue. He says, I want to use everything that's in me. All that's in within me to praise His holy name. So what's the focus here, Psalm 103? What's the focus of David's worship and blessing? Look what he says. He says, bless the Lord in verse 2, O my soul. And he ends it by saying, forget not all his benefits. The benefits that David speaks of here are things that we better have it's not an add-on sometimes you think of a benefit you know like something you do at work i got this job i need the money but they've also given me some benefits i don't necessarily need them it's like an add-on i got my job i got my money and they're giving me as a benefit two weeks paid vacation we don't need that but you need the job don't you you need that income and i'm saying when he talks about benefits here He's not talking about something that's just an add-on. A benefit means the accomplishment of the hands. It means something that God has graciously given to you. Kind deeds that are performed by the Lord, not add-ons. That's what they are. Just for instance, I mean, the first thing he mentions is what? Forgiveness. Is forgiveness like an optional add-on? I'd say I think we need that, don't we? It really is. The benefits... The five things he lists there are things that God has graciously done for us. There's things that he provided in the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Things that have come to us at great cost. They're not options. Things that we should be thankful for. And David tells us here, don't forget them. Don't forget. Talking to his own soul, he's saying, forget not, soul, all the benefits, all the gracious dealings of God. Because I'm telling you, it's easy and it's natural to forget That's why he had to warn Israel. We read that the other night. But he's saying here, don't forget a single one of them. Things that God has done for you. I've got it somewhere. I used to have a list. I think it got to be two pages. First got in this walk of things. I had a thing where I asked the Lord for something and I put the date beside it. And then I had a thing on the other column when this prayer was answered. I think I had two pages. Every one of them filled in up to the time I was messing with that, except for one. For years. But I would go back to that, and that would encourage me. You know, you get down and bless the Lord, oh, my soul, look at your list. Man, God has been with you all through those years, all through those times, answering prayers. His hand was on you doing this, doing that. And that's what I think David's talking about here. Keep a list. Forget not all of his benefits, the great things that he has done for you. And I mean, if we started getting that ball rolling in here, I could quit preaching, and we could hear testimonies the rest of the day. Amen. I know that for a fact. You remember that old Andre Crouch song? It went like this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Starts off the same as our psalm. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. And he went on three times to say, He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. That's a great song. I always loved that song. And he ends up by saying, Bless His holy name. All the great things He's done for us. David lists here five things. Who, and then there's who, 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 and then it says what he's done after that. Who forgives, verse 3. Who heals, who redeems, who crowns, who's satisfied. Now David could have listed a lot more things he'd done in his life, but he chose five of the foremost premium and unequaled of God's great benefits that he gives us. The first to top the list in verse 3 is... He forgives all thine iniquities. We're not going to get any further than this today. My plan was to deal with this whole psalm, and I'm sorry. Sometimes you get to start doing a sermon, and it just takes on a life of its own, and it's just out of control, and you're trying to catch it and bring it back in, and that's what happened here. I'm sorry. But we're going to talk about that. First in the list is forgiveness, and I think there is a reason, and here's why, because until forgiveness is granted or received, guess what doesn't happen? There is no healing. There is no redemption. There is no satisfaction, because unforgiven sin blocks God's blessing on our life, doesn't it? Or anyone's life, for that matter. Isaiah 59, we're familiar with this, but it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is His ear heavy that it cannot hear. He says, though, your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you. That's His blessing, we said that, and that He will not hear. Until that's dealt with, the blessings can't flow, can they? And that's why he puts that first. And just imagine, just imagine what our lives would be like if our sins could not be forgiven. What if the Lord Jesus had never come? I mean, even when I was a kid, my expectation was that when I get too old to sin or too old to care or or having kids and I don't want them to be like me, that I'm going to go on and get my life right with the Lord because I knew things weren't right and I knew he was the hope. What if that wasn't there? Imagine what this world would be like. No forgiveness of sin. So forgiveness of sin is the first and great message of the Bible, isn't it? It is not only our highest need, our greatest need. It is our deepest need. It is. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection in Luke 24, here's what he said to him. He says that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And he's saying, do that first. But when you read Acts 13, when Paul goes on his first missionary journey to Antioch in Pisidia, the first thing he does when he meets the Jews there is his message to them is not, you can be healed, you can be delivered. That wasn't his message to them. I'm sure that came But his first message to them was, he says, look, in Jerusalem, the Jews in Jerusalem with the leaders, they crucified Jesus Christ, put him on the cross, killed him, didn't know what they were doing. But God raised him from the dead and exalted him, says all that. And he goes on to say, and I'm here to tell you there is forgiveness in this man, in this name, in him, that you can be justified through him and you can't be justified through the works of the law. That was the message Paul had was forgiveness. In Acts 26, Jesus said, I'm sending you to the Gentile to turn you from the power of Satan to the power of God and to tell these Gentiles that there is forgiveness. Man, we can't get bored with that message. We really can't. That's trouble when you get bored with that. And you think about it. What does he say here? He forgives how many of our iniquities? All. And what a blessing, because I'm telling you, Maybe you guys could agree with this. The sins I've committed in my lifetime are more than could be numbered. You think not? Well, you start multiplying out how many times you probably sinned a day before you were a Christian and throw in some after, and you multiply that out in a lifetime when you were unrestrained, and the things you did, I mean, that's enormous how bad they were, and how many they are. Just one of those. We're saying we can rejoice that he says he forgives all of our iniquities because just one of them, one of them would be enough to damn our souls. So we're glad he doesn't say he forgives some or most or many of our iniquities but all. And what he's done is he's taken them off our back. We used to t- sing that song, Jesus Took My Burdens, and He Rolled Them in the Sea. So John Bunyan, I would recommend you read the book if you never have, Pilgrim's Progress. It's a good book. At the beginning of that, he talks about Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, and he is all bowed down. If you get one with pictures in it, they showed this has his big hump on his back. He's all bowed down and bowed down and burdened with his sin, and he's looking for relief. Can't find relief he's in a field christians in a field reading the bible and it says he's greatly distressed in his mind and it says as he's reading he burst out crying and he says what shall i do to be saved and bunyan writes as he's sitting there he says i saw a man named evangelist coming to him and he asked him he says well why are you crying and he answered sir I perceive by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die. And after that, to come to judgment. And I find that I am not willing to do the first, nor able to do the second. I'm not willing to die, and I'm definitely, he says, I'm not able to come to judgment. And the evangelist said to him, well, why aren't you willing to die since this life is attended with so many evils? And the man answered, Because I fear that this burden that is upon my back will sink me lower than the grave, and I shall fall into hell. And, Sir, if I be not fit to go to prison, I am not fit, I am sure, to go to judgment, and from thence to execution. And the thoughts of these things make me cry. And then said, Evangelist, If this be thy condition, why do you stand still? And he answered, Because I don't know where to go. And that's where we come in, isn't it? There's people out there. I've been up to that park, skating park, cement park, met young people. They are totally clueless about the Bible. I mean, totally clueless. I mean, we've got an atheistic culture that we're growing up in. It's not like back when I was a kid. And there's people, they know zero. And they've got that burden, whether they realize it or not. And they need somebody to come up to them and tell them which way to go. So evangelist did what? He said, go to the wicked gate, which the wicked gate, when he gets, it's the cross. That's where he sent him to the cross. And when he gets there, you read his burden. He sees the cross and his burden falls off. His sins are forgiven, all of them. And it says this in that book, just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell, talking about Jesus' grave, where it fell in, and I saw it no more. And he writes, Then was Christian glad and lightsome, and said with a merry heart, He has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all my iniquities. Praise the Lord. We should not be getting bored with hearing about the mercy of God and forgiving all of our sins. Because it's not just the past, sins of the past that we need to have forgiven, is it? If we're honest, we got present sins and we will have future sins that need to be forgiven. We are in constant need of God's forgiveness and mercy, aren't we? And we should never take it for granted. So look what he says here, looking down in verse 8, Psalm 103. He says, "...the Lord is merciful." David writes, "...and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy." This psalm is just filled with God's mercy. Verse 9, "...he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. But as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And as far as the east is from the west..." so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. I would agree with most commentators that would say David wrote Psalm 103 after he wrote Psalm 51. Because David is an expert on the mercy of God because he needed it. And so do we. And he wrote in Psalm 51, beginning Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy lovingkindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. David knew what he deserved. God had brought Nathan the prophet to him, that was his mercy there, and revealed to David the blackness of his soul. His eyes became open through the word of that prophet, the great stain on his soul. He could clearly see it, that he lived with day after day after day. He talks in the other Psalms about he was groaning, hiding that sin. And that's the way it is. And when Nathan came to him and said, thou art the man, conviction came. He saw himself for who he was. That's the Spirit of God did that. Knew what he deserved. Yet he also knows how God dealt with him through that, didn't he? He's an expert on mercy. And that's why he says, look in verse 8 again. I know what happened. I know what I deserve. I know the way God dealt with me. I had to cry out for Him, Take not Thy Spirit from me. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Not because of anything I've done. Not because it's written, I'm a man after your own heart. Because I don't deserve any of that. I'm a nobody. But He says, Have mercy on me. According to Thy tender mercies blot out my transgression. It's purely God's mercy. And so He can write here in Psalm 103, The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. And he will not always chide, and neither will he keep his anger forever. David would say this, he's not dealt with us after our sins. (laughs) He's like, I know that, nor rewarded us. He's not given me the reward I deserve according to our iniquities. And he never got over that. That's why he's writing here. That's why this is a song of pure praise. He never got over the mercy God had showed him. And he, like Paul, Paul never got over it either. Now These guys aren't sitting here dwelling in detail about all the things they did in their past. But Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm not worthy to be an apostle. And that's what David would say, the same thing. I mean, think about what that man did, the man after God's own heart. You read in 2 Samuel 24, I believe, it lists all these mighty men that followed David, that fought with David. And you have the list, the top three or whatever. And then you have, they call it the 30. And you list the 30. These are these loyal, valiant warriors that fought and stayed with David. And when you go through that list, the last name he put on that list is Uriah the Hittite. A loyal soldier to David. Now, can you imagine? And here... He sees his wife down. Whose wife is Oh, that's Uriah the Hittite. David knew who Uriah was. It wasn't like a, some foot soldier. No, I'm going to take his wife. And he did. That's stealing. That's, he coveted her. There's two of the Ten Commandments he's violated. Then he has an affair. There's adultery. Then he comes and tries to cover it all up. He's lying, lying to Uriah. gets him out on the battlefield, sets him up has him take his own death sentence here. Take this note, take it to Joab up in the front lines. Uriah, please, probably said it with a smile. He's giving him his own, I mean, that is wicked. David knows, cold-blooded murder. So you think David doesn't know about what mercy is? A man, it says, after God's own heart, yet he backslid terribly. A liar, a thief, adulterer, a murderer, a covetous man. He was in grave danger. He was. He seriously was because God owed him nothing, did he? Not a thing. And David realized this fully. He went on to say in Psalm 51, I acknowledge my transgressions. He says, and my sin is ever before me. And David says this to the Lord. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that you may be justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. And maybe in here today, there's someone that is under the burden of that dark stain of sin. You feel unclean. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's lust, maybe it's impatience, maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's just being involved in the pollutions of the world. It's entertainment. Because this entertainment will leave you feeling unclean spiritually. And David knew that feeling. He knew what it was like. He knew what that burden was. And he repented, and he cried out for God's mercy, and he experienced it. And that's why he wrote this psalm. If you would, turn back to Psalm 32, please. David knew what it was to experience the mercy and forgiveness of God. So in Psalm 32, look what he says there. He says, blessed, blessed, David says, oh, I can say this. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Do we have a lot of blessed people in here? Amen. Amen. He says, blessed is the man unto whom, and Paul quotes this in Romans 4, 7. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Because he says, here's what happened when I tried to cover it up, verse 3. When I kept silence, he said, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. But, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of walking around with this burden of sin, like Bunyan. Is this speaking to somebody today? He says, I'm tired of it. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I'll confess my transgression unto the Lord. And he said, when I did that, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. And he says, therefore, for this shall everyone that is godly pray unto you in a time when you may be found. Because forgiveness is not always going to be found. He says, surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto him. You are my hiding place, David writes. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall compass me about with songs of deliverance. And he says, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I'll guide you with mine eye. And the Lord says, don't be as the horse, stubborn as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held with bitten bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he that trusts in the Lord, what will compass him about? Mercy. mercy, the mercy of our God. So he says, verse 11 Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Because we have something to shout about, don't we? Experience that great mercy of God. Amen. So go back to Psalm 103. That mercy, David goes on to write, is so vast, he's saying we will never comprehend it. Because look what he says in verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, he said, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. But imagine going out on a clear night, or you could even look up in a blue sky, but on a clear night, and you look up at the sky, and you see the most distant star. Just a little pinpoint in the distance. And he's saying God's mercy goes far beyond that. To whom? To those that fear him. I want to make sure you've got to get the message balanced here. It's not saying it's just to anybody. Just live however you want to. Of course, we understand that here, I would assume. But he's saying it's to those that want to walk in his ways and obey him. To those people that fear him, his mercy towers over you. Towers over them. He's saying it is so great. Just when you look up in the sky and it just goes on forever. And he's saying that is how great God's mercy is. It's immeasurable, in other words. It's towering over and above and on those that fear him. Amen. Those that perish in the world will be the ones that depart from evil. But they, when they do, you depart from evil, you'll experience, like David, the overwhelming mercy of God. And how is that mercy demonstrated? Look what it says in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, it says, So far has He removed our transgressions from us. He takes our sin. He's the one that has to remove it from us, right? We can't do it. And He did that through the cross. And He removes it, though, it says completely as far as the east is from the west notice he doesn't say if you picture a globe as far as the north is from the south because you start heading north and what happens when you get up to the north pole you're heading south so he doesn't say that he's saying east from west because you start heading east and you're always heading east aren't you and he's saying it's going on forever you're never going to catch up with it he's entirely put away our sin Put it away completely, and that's a blessing, isn't it? It really is. The scapegoat has been sent out never to be seen again. That's what you have in Leviticus 16, on the Day of Atonement. And Spurgeon said this, if sin be removed so far, if it's removed that far, it's gone on east and ain't never coming back. He's saying if it's removed that far, then we may be sure, I like the way he said this, we may be sure that the scent. The trace, the very memory of our sin must be entirely gone. There's not even a scent of it around. Not a trace. It's entirely gone. If this be the distance of its removal, Spurgeon said, there is no shade of fear of its ever being brought back again. Never have to worry about the most heinous thing you did that no one else knows about, but you do. Or maybe a few people and you're glad they're not around anymore. None of that is ever going to be brought back up again by the Lord. Never. He says even Satan himself could not achieve such a task. I heard about this man had a broken marriage. He tried to reconcile with his wife for several years and he pled with his wife to forgive him. Whatever the issue was, he's just like, can you just please forgive me? I don't know exactly what he did to her. And she said this to him. She says, well, I found it in my heart to forgive you, but I will never forget. And he said, well, I couldn't believe the former for the expression of the latter. Saying, how can you say you forgive me if you are going to not forget? And God says, I have forgiven you. And he says, I have forgotten it. That's what the east from the west is all about. Thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Amen? Amen. That's what God does. And the mercy of God, the last thing I want to talk about here is it is not impersonal. Look what it says in verse 13. For as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear Him. God is our Father and He has a concern for us His children. When we See, a father that is caring and compassionate and disciplines his children in a nice way carries himself like you would think a father should. We shouldn't say that God is like him. No, the earthly father is only that way. Why? Because God is that way. What we need to remember is he is like God. Because sin has distorted many fathers in this world. It has. And there's people out there. I go to prison. I've talked to I don't know how many guys. And their dad was abusive, was never around, didn't have anything to do with them. It's hard for them to get their mind wrapped around that God is not that way because that's their concept of a father. But God is not that way. He's not underhanded and treating you bad. It says he doesn't sit there and chide and chide and chide to where you get so discouraged. It's like, man, every day you're picking on me, picking on me, picking on me. I'm no good. It says God doesn't do that. He will not always chide nor keep his anger forever. He knows when to ease up. So he has to chide some, doesn't he? (laughs) That's part of our growth. But as it has been said, we don't adore a God of stone, the Muslims do. Their God's not a God of love. He's a God of justice. And they hope their good deeds are going to outweigh their bad deeds on the scales of justice when they make it to heaven. Oh, well, our God's not like that. Because we know the scales are already tipped. We're going to lose that war, aren't we? We've lost that one. We don't adore a God of stone, but the living God who is tenderness itself. When it says there, like as a father pities his children, so the Lord Pities, that's in the present tense. So God is having compassion on all of us in here, His children, as I speak. His pity or compassion, it never ceases to flow towards us. And we always need it. We always need His passion and pity to be flowing our way. So it's pictured, that word is illustrated and pictured in the story of the two women women that came before Solomon. You remember that story? We talked about it not too long ago. And they both lived in the same house. They both had children about the same age and the one slept on the one and it died. So they had one living one left and they're disputing on whose child that is and they bring the the living child before Solomon. And in his wisdom, he says, all right, you cut the baby in half and you give half of it to one woman and half to the other woman. And it says this about the mother whose son it was, who she knew that was her son and her son that was alive. Listen to this. It says, then spake the woman whose the living child was under the king, listen to this, it says, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, oh my Lord, give her the living child. So when it says her bowels yearned upon her son, that is the exact same word that's used of God our Father, how he looks on us, his children. When it says there that he pities us, pities them that fear Him, that is the same word. His bowels yearn for us. So you imagine, if you're saved and you're in here and you're saved and you have children, I can't imagine, you can't understand that that is how you are towards your children. When they're sick, when they're in distress, when they have a need, when they're having any kind of troubles, if your bowels don't yearn for your children, there's something wrong there. Man, that's the way God is towards us he's saying just as a father pities his children so God has pity on us he remembers our frame you know why he made our frame it says he knows we're frail we're flesh we're prone to head the wrong way and that's why it says he chastens us not for his good but for our profit doesn't he everything he does when you're his child is for our profit for our good he doesn't need us he doesn't need anything but he still loves us Bless the Lord, all oh my soul, he says, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. And your soul can say, why are you talking to me like this? Why are you talking to me like this? It's because of all His benefits, you tell your soul. Listen, you've got no right to be depressed. All the benefits God has given us. So we just looked at one of them today. He's forgiven all of my sins. We could just stop there and we'd be well off, wouldn't we? been merciful, not dealt with me after my sins. Before or after salvation, I'd say God has never dealt with me according to my sins. None of us, none of us would stand. He says He's removed all of them from us as far as the east is from the west. Never to mention Him again. All we need to do is repent and ask Him to forgive us. And He's more than willing to do that. That's what He says there, isn't it? We have a Father that is having compassion on us continually. Amen. 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 Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, his kind acts towards us. Amen. Amen. Well, let's bow our heads and pray. Hallelujah. Father, we just ask the Lord if there's anyone in here that's struggling with depression or discouragement that you'll show them, Lord, they can speak to their soul and they can encourage themselves with all the benefits that you've given us. And the first and foremost we looked at today is the forgiveness of our sins and that you've put those completely away, Lord. You've taken that burden off of us. And if someone's carrying that burden, Lord, I ask you, show them that you can cast that on you. And if they're not saved, Lord, that you will take that burden from them. You'll cleanse them from that dark stain of sin and their soul can be clean and their conscience can be clear. They don't have to walk around with an accusing conscience, afraid of the day of judgment. But that burden can be rolled off their back, that you'll do that for them today. And I know you're speaking to someone today, Lord. And today it says in the word, if you hear his voice, to harden not your heart, that today is the day of salvation, if God is speaking to you. And so we thank you, Lord, for meeting with us today. And just ask you'll continue to bless the time we have here in the singing that happens in our time of fellowship, and we do that in Jesus' name. Amen.